Welcome to Ghostly. I'm Pat. And I'm Rebecca. And I am so excited about this episode, Rebecca. Uh, There's just so much stuff to talk about. It's a big story. Yeah. um, But before we get into the episode, we have a couple of things to take care of. Yes. So the first thing is that we wanted to remind everyone, if you haven't done so yet, please hit that subscribe button. This way you'll find out about all new Ghostly episodes. The second they come out. The second they come out, you won't even have to think about it. It'll just be there. Yeah. Some of them will even automatically download for you. Yeah. That's just amazing. Well, I want to remind you all to stick around to the end of the episode to find out about some of the contests that we have coming up for C2E2. I'm so excited about C2E2. I am too. I've never been. Yeah, I've been. (laughs) We're going to be releasing um, the last three contests out of six contests. We're going to be releasing them all today. We're going to tell you all the details. Yep. So then everyone will, you'll you'll have all the chances to win. As the kids say, all the, all the deets. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that's exactly what the kids (laughs) say. I'm imagining them saying that. Yeah. Uh, So 411. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do people even know what 411 is anymore? What is it? information number oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding i knew that Uh Uh, we need to talk a little bit about the last episode so in our last episode we talked about george washington and mount vernon and i received a message on facebook from a man named ken wetzel he knows a curator at mount vernon who will remain nameless only because I never reached out to the person to ask if we could actually have permission to share this. <laughs> so that person will be nameless. Uh, we'd just like to share with you what this person said about Mount Vernon. Um, the curator says, There are ghost stories, but nothing solid. The only really unusual thing he says he experienced on a regular basis is a proximity alarm that triggers before he enters a certain room. So, Rebecca, what do you think of that? Is that your smoking gun? (laughs) Well, there are certainly lots of stories on the internet of people that have worked there that have said that they have either experienced or had people report to them experiences. So, the fact that, you know, he says nothing solid, that to me definitely means he's heard stuff and, you know, kind of creepy about the alarm. But yeah, I'm just talking about the proximity alarm. That means that somebody walked in that area or that they picked up something. But you know what? Right now, all of that doesn't matter because what matters is the ghostly fans have spoken. They have. We do have some poll results. Again, you have managed to split the believer vote. Uh, you I, always do this the way you set up so. these polls. <laughs> I, I'm, it's very frustrating. So mm. we have, yes, it's haunted at, uh, I'm going to say 17%. We'll just round up a little bit for all wow. of these. And I'm not sure is also 17 So I would say half of those are mine and half of those are yours. No, because I think people that are, you know, they're just like hedging their bets a little bit, but they kind of believe Right, mm. and that that falls under that. I'm not sure, but I, I, I wait. So seventeen, seventeen. I'm not a mathematician, but that's thirty four. Yes, and then sixty six percent or sixty seven. If I'll, I'll be nice uh-huh. and round up, um, said no. What? Uh-huh. Yeah, we need more votes. <laughs> we. Definitely I don't believe do. this. I don't. I don't trust this at well, all. Well, I'm sorry. That's what the facts are. <laughs> the ghostly fans have spoken. All right. 
So I think we should just jump right into the history section. So I just want to give a little fair notice about this episode. This is a this is a hard story to tell. It is. It is. Really yeah, the, especially the history part, the the real factual not ghost story, you know, what happened part. Yeah. Um, I mean, we often, obviously, this is a ghost podcast, so we talk about dead people and things. But Wait, they're dead? Yeah. Spoiler it, alert. Spoiler. Um, but this this story in particular is pretty um, tragic. Gruesome, and maybe? Gruesome. To some degree? Some, some disturbing yeah. parts of it. I mean, we're not going to get into crazy details, but uh, anyways... We just wanted to to note that that is the case, that we know this is a super tragic, sad story. Uh, we probably will make some jokes as we go just to kind of keep it light. But we know that, you know, this is a pretty, pretty sad tale. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, well, this episode is about the Iroquois Theater fire of 1903. Did I say that right, Iroquois? Yes, you did. Because there is a certain man, Nick Mataragas, that likes to tell me how to pronounce things, and he gets mad at me for pronouncing things wrong. Okay, well, I'm I'm pulling for you for this whole episode. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna make it. He's the producer of Freak of the Week, by the way. Oh, that's another podcast that you and I sometimes are. Yeah, on. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Todd Davis with Laughing Ghost Studios recommended that we do an episode about this. And he's an amazing artist, and I am always just blown away by his work. He is incredible. Rebecca, you want to tell us about him? Yeah. Well, we met Todd at a fundraising event that we were a part of in the fall, and he had his work on display. It's it's really cool. It's uh, he it calls is. them masks, I, but yeah. they're not masks that you would wear. They're more like busts, like yeah. sculptures. And he makes the molds, and then paint and then makes makes the actual face face really is i guess the best way to say it from the mold and then paints it and he can make multiple of the same face but then paint them differently and they're kind of like creepy distorted faces but they'll like sometimes are sometimes are prettier but most of the time they're kind of creepy or they're really realistic the eyes are just, yeah, they look like really real creepy. eyes. It's really weird. But you should definitely check him out. Yeah, um, I really liked his yeah. um, Valentine um, mask that he well that he posted about on Valentine's. Well, Day. yeah, because he especially because he talked did about I say how, that right by the way. You, you Valentine's did, Day? yes, Valentine's Day yeah. yes, and he he actually posted that he was listening to Ghostly while he was what? making that particular Aww. mask. So all good artists listen to Ghostly, of course. Well, we just wanted to give him a shout out because one, we just really liked him, and he gave us this really cool idea for an episode. Yeah, and uh, his stuff is just. Really interesting. Well, I I just want to say that uh, we will do episodes that you recommend. We just have some episodes lined up that we really want to do that we haven't released to the public yet, but to you guys. Um, but we we will get to your episodes. I promise that if they're good, we will get to them. Oh yeah, I mean if they're anyways, please send us your suggestions. We yes. definitely take suggestions. Mostly episodes we pick are from somebody told us yeah. some idea so definitely so you could find him on um facebook is probably the best way i know mm-hmm. he's got a website but i would say probably facebook is his best way to communicate with todd uh it's facebook.com slash laughing ghost studios or just do a search on facebook for laughing ghost studios and you will find it you will find it and you will be blown away i guarantee that definitely all right 
Okay, let's get into the story. Well, let's get into it. So I often like to um, do a little time perspective. This helps me be able to understand what I'm actually looking at and what I'm what the research means. So in this one, this one was in 1903. Uh, TV wasn't invented yet until 1927. So going to the theater was a main staple of entertainment in those days. Cars were invented in 1885, but were not widely available to the masses until 1908 with the release of the Ford Model T. And uh, the Chicago World's Fair of 1893 was a showcase of electric power, but was a very dark city because the high rise is blocking out the sun. So in this day and age, power was still something kind of newish. So like maybe not every house or every even store had yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, this is I mean this is 10 years after after its debut in well, it wasn't really the debut, but it was the showcase of um of electrical power. That's why we were known as the white city for that. Mm. Yeah. Well, also the the white buildings. Yeah, well. We're gonna... That was more for block or for the sun reflection and yeah, stuff too, well, I believe. Future episode future yeah spoiler alert <laughs> so uh this was a theater fire that we're going to be talking about and there were several theater fires around this time period and it prompted a lot of fire safety rules and because of this fire there's even more um rules and this is general rules of buildings even mm-hmm. oh absolutely it's amazing the things that came out of this fire yeah absolutely sure. So, so the Iroquois Theater des, um, designers followed all of these rules. But because of its delay in construction, many of these designs never came to be or were made but not functioning for whatever reason. So I want to just stress that, that it's not the, it's not the architect uh, that necessarily was at fault for this. There's a lot of people at fault for this. Definitely. Well, and also some of it, too, is just lack of human knowledge at that point. I mean, we were advancing a lot in fire safety, obviously Chicago being a forefront of that. But, you know, it, science takes as long as science takes to figure well, things out. As we're going to find out, I think that this was that we knew, mm. but people took shortcuts. Gotcha. Okay. So the Iroquois Theater was designed by Benjamin Marshall and featured a Renaissance style. It was beautiful. Uh, we'll definitely post some of the pictures of the interior of it. It was beautiful. Uh, it was located at between 24 to 28 West Randolph Street. It was a huge uh, theater, so it took up multiple addresses. That's between State and Dearborn in Chicago. It opened on November 23, 1903, after numerous delays due to labor unrest. Benjamin Marshall was a well-known architect in and around Chicagoland area in this day. Uh, he was known for not only designing the building, but he demanded a say of the interior design. He was really into what his buildings looked like all around. Gotcha. Many people don't know that unions pretty much began in Chicago around 1896, so another time perspective thing. In 1903, they were still figuring things out. They hadn't figured out everything yet. But workers were demanding to be treated fairly. And before um, unions became a thing, there was no eight-hour workdays. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and in fact, many people work 12 to 16-hour days and were not guaranteed a good wage even for doing so. Mm. They were not given overtime or anything like that. Yeah, and it Uh, wasn't until 1938 that the Fair Labor Standards Act was even passed. Yeah, and um, vacation days and stuff like that. There was no such thing as those. There was no holidays. They would work on Christmas. They would work every day if, if their employer said that they had to. So the construction workers were ordered to hurry the construction to get the theater opened around Thanksgiving to to recoup some of the cost of the construction, because between Thanksgiving and New Year's is a busy time for theaters. Mm-hmm. George Williams, a Chicago building commissioner, and Ed Laughlin, Chicago's fire inspector, declared it was fireproof beyond all doubt in November 1903, before the theater opened. Um, this kind of reminds me of another historical declaration of that, independence well that the titanic was nigh unsinkable yeah. yeah i don't trust anything that they say those kind of things about that doesn't sound good but they had noted that there were 30 exits 27 of which were double doors now the thing about the construction of it if you go into it there was only one main entrance and one main exit so there were a lot of problems when people were exiting and entering this building mm. because there was you know, numerous different locations that they would go to. William Clendenin, uh, editor of Fireproof Magazine, inspected the Iroquois Theater and wrote a scathing editorial about its fire dangers, pointing out that there was a great deal of wood trim, no fire alarms, and no sprinkler systems over the stage. And that was before it opened? That was before it opened, yeah. So the fire started just five weeks after the theater opened. On Wednesday... December 30th, 1903, during a matinee performance of the popular Drury Lane musical Mr. Bluebeard, starring Eddie Foy. In its first five weeks of running at the Iroquois Theater, the attendance was not very good. Uh, this was probably because the weather was not holding up. It was, it was really kind of bad, which happens in Chicago around that time of the year. This is true. But the attendance was extremely high the day of the fire, of course. Mm. Hey, can I do a quick aside? Yeah. Okay, so Drury Lane is a theater in London, and that's where Mr. Bluebird, Bluebeard, sorry, was uh, started. That theater is one that I've done a lot of research on for yeah. uh, my uh, master's program <laughs> in literature, and uh, it's super interesting, huge, long history. It has burned down four times in its wow. history. Yeah, and there's, uh, anyways, if you if you go to Rebecca Rivers' lit blog, mm. you'll find a whole website and uh, on a particular uh, novel, but a, a big part of it is all on Drury Lane Theater and the history of it and the fires and the fireproofing. Because wow. back then there definitely was no electricity, so everything no. was candlelight. Yeah, and that's so, a little dangerous. Yeah, there was a lot of fires. There's probably gas lamps and stuff too. It, well, as it went on, but yeah. when it opened, that wasn't the case. So anyways, it's theater fires and trying to make them safe is something that was happening for a lot, a lot of years. Yeah. And this was just really tragic what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as I was saying, the attendance on this day was extremely high. In fact, 2,000 patrons attended although this theater only had around 1,600 seats, 1,602 to be exact. So hundreds of these patrons had standing room only. That sounds like a fire safety violation. Yeah. The standing room areas were so crowded that some patrons sat in the aisle and blocked the exits. That sounds really good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Most of the victims of this fire were women and children, unfortunately. Oh, God. 
The cast was made up of 280 performers. Wow, that, that's got to be crew members and everything too. No, that's performers because there were a lot of uh, local people that they brought in to be like animals and stuff in oh, this. Wow. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've okay. never seen Mr. Bluebeard. Yeah, me neither. But maybe the fire started because he had bad beard products. <laughs> I could tell you all about beard products, men. If you guys have any questions, go ahead and message me, Pat at ghostlypodcast.com. I'll tell you all about my beard products. I got um, a lot of them. Yeah, you just have to ask. He'll he'll go on and on. Yeah, I will. <laughs> so another incident had occurred on opening night, but nobody really bothered to change anything. Hmm. A spotlight operator first noticed that one of the calcium lights seemed to have sparked a fire backstage, and the area was cluttered with wooden stage props and oily rags. Wait, so was this the opening night thing or the night of the fire? This was the night of the fire. Okay. Yeah. Eddie Foy went on stage and tried to calm the audience, telling them to remain seated. Foy was widely seen as a hero after the fire for his courage in remaining on stage and pleading with patrons not to panic even as large chunks of burning scenery landed around him. It wasn't until until an asbestos curtain that was supposed to be lowered would that would confine the fire. It never fully came down, and that's when people really started to panic. Mm, yeah, because they had been told, oh, we have a fireproof curtain. It's going to come down. Everything's going to be fine. Yep. And and I also read that it, they like kept trying to do it, so people yeah. it would go up and down. So there were like weird conflicting reports of whether it actually came down because it was like it kept going up and down, and they just could never get it all the yep. way. Uh, a chemist who later tested part of the curtain stated that it was mainly wood pulp mixed with asbestos. So the asbestos would have been fine if it was asbestos with wiring in it, because mm. uh, it would have been a nice strong surface. Okay. But because of the wood pulp oh. in there, uh, it would have been. And he and I'm quoting this of no value in a fire. So even if it did go down, it wouldn't have mattered. Wow. I mean, just think who I'm making a fireproof curtain. You know what ingredient belongs in a fireproof curtain? Hmm. Wood. Well, the reason why they did that is because it was cheaper and because they could still say that they had an asbestos uh, curtain Mm. that would block the fire. So therefore, um, the building inspectors would let it pass then. Wow. So, yeah, there's a big thing about that. Yeah. So the lights went out. There was a stampede near the open exits. One of the actors opened the back door, which caused a backdraft, and a fireball roared through the backstage area and into the theater balcony. The teenage ushers that were working fled immediately, and they forgot to open the locked emergency doors. The doors that were able to be forced open were four feet above the sidewalk, which slowed down the exiting process. So people would get to the door, they would open it up, but then they would see that there's four feet, so they would pause for a second. And that one second, if you add that up with 1,600 people or 2,000 people, it, it adds up. Yeah. People could not get some of the doors to open because they were using a new type of locking mechanism that nobody really understood. It's kind of resembled an old fridge door, but it was a little bit more complicated than even that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the fire escapes on the upper level had no stairs or ladders. Mm. Uh, this is where most of the deaths occur, actually, at, uh, as some patrons decided to take their chances and jump to their death. The bodies were piled six deep. The people that did survive being on the balcony were some of the, some of the later ones that had the bodies to break their landings. Oh, man. Yeah. 
The people that did manage to run to the front entrance were not able to escape either because the doors pulled inward Mm -hmm. instead of pushing outward. And with that, many people running towards them, it was totally useless. Yeah, you couldn't pull it in because there were too many people behind you for you to pull it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the deadliest theater fire in the U.S. and the deadliest single building fire in U.S. history. Uh, unless you include uh, September 11th, which wasn't exactly a building fire, though. They, that's not what it was classified as. It yeah. was a terrorist attack. So again, how many people died? Uh, 602. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that was at least double the amount of people died during the Iroquois Theater fire than in the Great Chicago fire. Wow. Who, you know, people, you wouldn't guess that. No, because it's great, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it burned the city. So, yeah. So... Okay, I have a couple more notes to say. Sorry, this is such a long history section. Uh, there's just so much history about the Iroquois Theater. Oh, I mean, obviously, we could. this could be like a series of 10 Podcast, podcasts yeah. itself. Yeah. So the owners of the theater claimed that the 30 exits would allow everyone inside to escape the building in five minutes. Audiences in 1903 were aware of hazard, hazards of fire, particularly after the more than 440 people died in the Ring Theater fire in Vienna, Austria. The exit doors open inward into the auditorium. The crowd pressed against the doors, keeping them closed. When people were able to pull the doors open enough to get out, some people were then wedged in the door opening as people continued to push on the door. Today, exit doors open outward so that people trying to escape will tend to hold the doors open. Ah, so this is um, this is a change that happened because of the yes. Iroquois fighter yep. fire. And actually, this is something I think of whenever I'm going into a building now. Um, I've seen some buildings that have those inward doors, and I'm just like, this is a fire hazard, people. Yeah. Uh, there was no exit signs. It was not part of the design. Many exits were concealed by flammable draperies and were locked. So on the airplane... When they make a special note of how there's exit signs yeah. and they're lighted and there's lighted pathways, that that actually really means something. Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's kind of important stuff absolutely. to have. And, you know, another thing, too, is that theater staff had never had a fire drill. They uh, were unfamiliar with the exits and some refused to open locked exit doors. They didn't know if they were supposed to. Oh, my gosh. There was no emergency lighting. The main auditorium lights were never switched on, so the theater remained dimly lit, as during a performance. When tons of burning scenery collapsed onto the stage, the electrical switchboard was destroyed, and all electric lights went out. Oh, wow. So it was pitch black in there. Mm. During the performances, the stairways were blocked with iron gates to prevent people with, with inexpensive tickets from taking seats in other parts of the theater which sounds like something that may happen. But on this day in particular, there were no empty seats in the house, so it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, pretty sure the fire risk isn't worth the chance that someone might steal a more expensive seat. Many people died in front of those iron gates. Many of the exit routes were confusing. Uh, There were several ornamental doors that looked like exits but were not. Uh, 200 people died in one passageway that was not an exit. Oh, my god! That they thought was. That's like a third of the people. Yeah. Oh. Iron fire escapes on the north wall led to at least 125 deaths. The upper platform had no way of getting down. People were trapped on all levels because the icy narrow stairs and ladders were dangerous to use and because smoke and flames blocked the way down. So a couple more things to say. 
602 bodies were found, but people believe that there were even more deaths, but the bodies had been moved before this actual count. They didn't even think about counting it. Wow. So um, there were there was no way to notify the fire department. Somebody actually had to run from the theater to the closest fire department to let them know. So that took several minutes for even any firefighters to get there. So in the aftermath of this disaster, George Williams was charged and convicted of Mesphony? Misfeasance? I've never, I've heard of malfeasance. Misfeasance? Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, he was was charged and convicted of that, whatever that crime is. Uh, The mayor of Chicago, Carter Harrison Jr., was indicted, although the charges didn't stick. And the theater owner was convicted of manslaughter due to poor safety provisions, but the conviction was later appealed and reversed. In fact, Rebecca, the only person to serve any jail time in relation to the disaster was a nearby saloon owner who robbed the dead bodies while the establishment served as a makeshift morgue following the fire. Oh, man. Nobody else? The owners? Nobody? Nobody. Nobody. So yeah, the Iroquois, I wish I, I wish I could say that I thought it'd be different today, but I, I don't necessarily. Know. Right? Yeah. So the Iroquois fire prompted widespread implementation of the panic bar. That's mm. that bar that goes in front of the door. Oh, yeah. You know, that you see and it'll say a fire alarm will sound. Uh-huh. It was first inv- invented in the United Kingdom following the Victoria Hall disaster, but panic exit devices are now required by building codes for high occupancy spaces and were mass manufactured in the U.S. following the fire by the Von Dubrin Company, okay. now part of Allegiant. O- okay. Yeah, I do not get any money from Allegion. I don't know why <laughs> I, don't I went know through why all we're that. Advertising for them, but that's okay. <laughs> Allegion, <laughs> panic bars that work. <laughs> uh, a second result of the fire was the requirement that an asbestos fire curtain or sheet metal screen be raised before each performance and lowered afterward to separate the audience from the stage. So they had to be tested before every performance. Now. Okay. The third result was that all doors in public buildings must open in the direction of egress, but that practice did not become national until the Collinwood School Fire of 1908. So, okay, so, so direction of egress, so like the the open uh, the, the direction of outward. leaving, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah of leaving. Okay. The Iroquois Theater, following the tragedy, was renamed and reopened as the Colonial Theater in 1904. It remained active until the building was demolished in 1925. And in 1926, the Oriental Theater was built on that site, which the building still remains the Oriental Theater, although the name has changed. Yes, just this month in February of 2019, it is now the James M. Niederlander Theater. Um, This is March, okay. Oh, sorry, it's March. (laughs) Well, just this year in February. I said it right. You said just this month. Oh, okay, well. Yeah. Uh, it is the Niederlander Theater now. Of course. Of course. The well, he's a big guy, I guess, in Chicago or regional theater. I don't know. Okay. So that's all I got for okay. the history. Okay. All so, like 20 minutes of history. Say, so we're done, right? Now we don't need the ghost story? <laughs> we do need the ghost story. In fact, um, the ghost story is really cool for this one, too. Oh, okay. So do you have anything to add for the history? Uh, I no, I think we did pretty good. There's some really great websites out there if you want more. Um, there's a, actually a, a website that uh, has, and I'll put the link, of course, on the show notes, that has the um, stories of as many of the victims as they can find. Wow. So you know, all 600 plus people. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of talks about their stories, and 
one of the interesting points that that their that with that website and then they actually have a, a Facebook page with it as well is they they just always make the point that it's not just about the people that died. It's actually um, has it still has ripples, you know, because these families you know, there were parents with children there yeah. and, you know, sometimes the whole family would die or multiple people from the family would die and then children were left without parents or, you know, you know, someone might lose their sister, brother, mother, whatever. And it just still Wait, ripples their sister, today. brother, mother? Yeah, any of those. Oh, people. any of those. I thought it was one person. Sister, brother, mother. This is not the moment for a joke, Pat. It is the moment for a joke. <laughs> Every moment is a moment for a joke. Well, <laughs> just the whole point that, you know, this is a, a fire that it's, you know, it's only been a little over 100 years. There's definitely been gen- multiple generations that have been hurt by, yeah. you know, this this huge loss of life in a one tr- particular area. Um, so that's just always tragic, but there's a, a lot of really interesting stories out there on it. So absolutely, um, yeah, lots of, lots of look at. All right. So that was the history. Now let's talk about the ghost story, Rebecca. Yes. So we've heard a lot of this tragic story. And I think in order to understand the ghost part, mm-hmm. we kind of need to put ourselves in that place. Okay. Okay. So you, you can close your eyes and imagine it if you'd like. Okay. So just imagine being in this dark, smoky place that the theater became once it started. There you are, crushed by those behind you or at a door that just won't open no matter what you do. Or imagine yourself in the balcony with the stairways blocked. You maybe manage to find a door, open it, and you see a fire escape, but then you realize that there are no stairs going down. Behind you are hundreds of others clamoring to get out, shouting at you to go, go. And you try to shout back that there is nowhere to go. Imagine the terror of that moment. Eventually, you decide to jump. You think, better to try and maybe live somehow than stay and die a certain death. And then everyone behind you makes that same choice. And the only ones that survive, survive on the bodies that have landed before them. This is the kind of negative energy that flows through Death Alley. So Death Alley, which is named after the Chicago Tribune's headline that came out after the fire, the Alley of Death and Mutilation, is the alley behind the theater and it survives to this day. More lights have been added now, but the ground is still cobblestone, and many claim to feel the pain and fear of those that died in that alley. People also hear screams and smell the smoke from the fire. Many also feel the presence of spirits that cannot rest. Wow, yeah. That's interesting. Interesting perspective. Yes. So it's, it, it, there are a few people that, ha- that will say some things about the being in the Oriental Theater. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the Niederheimer? Niederhosen? <laughs> theater, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, but anyways, being in the theater and like maybe hearing something or smelling something, mm-hmm. but there, that's not as common as people um, in the alley. Yeah. I think partly because the building was torn down and hmm. it's a different building, so. And we visited that alleyway too. We did. And we'll talk about that later, I'm assuming. Yes. I'm assuming you have that as some of your evidence. Definitely. So I think maybe we should just get into the debate then. Yeah, let's do it. So Rebecca, what do you got? Okay. So the first thing is uh, a quote from a guy who's a 
kind of like a ghost hunter. Okay. Right. So Chicago's haunted detective spoke with Adam Seltzer uh, of Chicago Unbelievable. Um, and Adam said that he visited the site many years ago and when it was clo- uh, when it was closed and he recalled hearing the voice of a little girl giggling in the basement of the theater. So I know I said I was talking about the alley, but this is one that's in the theater itself. Mm. Um, I asked him, uh, this is uh, the haunted detective, if he knew um, if any parts of the old Iroquois theater remain and he believed that there is one basement wall remaining from the old building. Wow. So I, but I haven't found any other evidence that yeah. says anything about there being that, but just, you know, so this is a guy who does ghost hunting and he heard this giggling girl hmm. when he was in the theater. So um, I will say that I spoke with Mike Morrissey, which he does uh, sound for a lot of events. And he said that he has spoken with some people that have worked at the Oriental Theater at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, that they have some spooky stories to go along with that kind of thing. So it's along those same lines. Mm-hmm. But when I have did some research as to any remaining parts of the Iroquois Theater, I did not find anything. And I I believe that the building was demolished in, in its entirety. I, I see nothing that proves otherwise except for this one person that says that he thinks that there is a basement wall that still stands. Why would they leave the basement wall still standing? And it's not even the same size as the theater was before. So I this to me doesn't mean a thing. Yeah, I don't I agree. I actually don't believe that there's necessarily a wall remaining, but that doesn't mean that there aren't creepy things going on inside the theater. But I'm just arguing the one point. That's what we do here. I know. We go point by point and then we argue that. Okay. We debate we debate that, not argue. Oh, yeah, right. No. Because just... I'm always right. Well, I'm always right. What? <laughs> Okay, so what else you got for me here? Okay, so then let's go to the alley, right? So, okay, there's some noises in the theater. Mm-hmm. Could be linked to a basement wall that we are both kind of doubting, but, yeah. you know, voices are there. Uh, so then there's tours that go to this alley. Yes. Right, it's a very um, common on the list of yeah. places in for- fact, when we were on our tour, there was another tour that happened to go there. So. Yeah, there were two tours in the alley <laughs> at yeah. the same time. Um, so this is Ken Melvoinberg of Weird Chicago. Oh, I remember Weird Chicago. Yeah, uh, so he um, has said that he definitely believes the site to be haunted, that he's taken tours to a lot of different places and he he mm-hmm. admits that they sometimes are kind of stretching the truth a little bit that places maybe what? they haven't really had evidence of hauntings or mm-hmm. anything but this place oh is this different is different yeah that that you know he really believes that that stuff has happened there mm-hmm. and that they've they've caught evidence and we can go into the evidence but what do you think about that concept that would you be see him as more believable would i think that he's more believable because he's from weird chicago or because he said that the other that he stretches the truth with some of the stuff right and so then maybe you know we he could believe then that this this place is different so he's in the business of selling stories to people and um, therefore, it would make sense for him to sell this story and make more money. Um, 
you know, I'm not saying he's a liar. I'm not saying he's doing this just for the money aspect. But what I am saying, though, is that he does make money based upon this and maybe that alters his perception of what's actually happening. But he doesn't, like, he freely admits that, yeah, there's some places we go and there's never a picture. There's never any, you know, what we'll get into the, some of the specifics. But, you know, but this place, it does happen. Again, he makes money on this. <laughs> All right. Well, so one of the big things is uh, photographic anomalies. So mm-hmm. ghost-like images that appear on photos taken in the alley. And then again, here's part of his quote. And quote, shadow people Ooh, in the shadow people. in the theater proper hmm. so there's image so, so actual images and sightings of ghosts and there's actually an, a really cool uh photo um uh, that uh, i will post in our yeah. show notes for sure of a ghost-like figure that is behind these two girls in a in a photo that someone took and and he said that he got the photo right after it was taken. So he like there wasn't really time for someone to have done a lot of photoshopping Alter or anything. It. Yeah, you know, and I don't necessarily believe that a lot of these photos have been altered in any way, but I do believe that it is using technology that can have some kind of effect to it. Um, when we talk about the old 35 millimeter film, there was a lot of times when there was ghosting in pictures. And when I say ghosting, I mean uh, an image from a previous picture came out in the next picture. Not somebody like leaving and not telling them that they're breaking up with them. Yeah, not that. Oh, and yeah, okay. definitely not like ghosts. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I definitely believe that that technology can have malfunctions. Even in today with us using digital photography, 99.9% of the time, I do believe that there are flaws to this technology. It takes a snapshot of one particular moment in time when the lighting might have changed or or there might be dust or there might be something else that alters the picture that would then appear to be something else. And I believe a lot of times we look at these pictures and we insert what we believe it to be. We see some kind of white shadowy looking thing and we just say, oh, that looks like a person. Just like when you look up at the clouds and you're like, hey, that looks like Puff the Magic Dragon. Or Parf. Or Parf the Magic Dragon for those that listen to Freak of the Week. <laughs> well, I would just say that you have to look at this photo. Like it's, it's, this is not a trick of the light. Well, you did not provide this photo for me to look at prior to this argument. <laughs> Sorry. But what I am going to say, though, is that it could be ghosting on the picture from another picture. It could be, it could be malfunctioning software that took this picture. Or if it was a 35 millimeter film, as I said, it could have been picking up the previous image. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll have. Again. There's a lot of rendering that has to happen in mm. pictures, and it happens very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't always tr- trust technology to to be the ultimate guide of what is scientifically founded or right. Wow. So you don't believe yeah. what you see in photos? No, I don't. Interesting. Especially if it's in like uh, The Inquirer or something like that. There's all kinds of alien babies in those. Bat Boy? Yeah. No, that, but no, that was Weekly World News, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Or I think that was David Vox Mullen. 
another friend of ours. He's he's Bat Boy. Oh well, that's a different thing. Yeah. Okay. So other things, other tour guides have also experienced sounds, which we've talked about, apparitions, which we just talked about, and the last thing is um, cold spots and hands touching people. So they feel. You know, like they walk through a cold spot, so just randomly in this open air alley, it's like a cold spot or um, they feel like a hand touching them. Cold spots, we relate this to being ghostly, but I I don't know if I believe that a ghost can make something cold overall. But a ghost could do something else. Is that what you're saying? Did you just admit to believing in ghosts? No. I want to believe so bad, so bad, but I see no link that says that just because there's a cold spot doesn't mean anything. Um, It's paranormal. We don't have any other explanation for it. It's not like we're next to like a vent of air conditioning or anything that would cause this spot of cold. And then sometimes you go back to the same spot a minute later and it's not. All right. In California, there are spots down the block that could be 10 degrees different than than at, at other spots. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. It could be the position of the sun. It could be it could be the wind. It could be various different things. I don't believe that cold spots tell us anything. But that's like a whole area. That's like a I'm saying like I'm in the alley and you're standing you know, a foot from me, if that, and you don't feel the cold spot and I feel the cold spot, like that's different. Okay, but where does that link up with ghosts? Well, again, it's unexplainable, it's paranormal, and we link it, we think it might be ghosts because it's in this area where we know there was a lot of death and a lot of spirits there. And there's some other things we're gonna get to coming up, but... You know, there's a lot of evidence to say that it could be spiritual energy. So I believe that because of the location and because of the history of the location, uh, we also expect something. Like if you were in a house where you know someone died and you happened upon their bed, like George Washington's bed, and uh, although he died in the middle of the bed... (laughs) I think um, he died on the side of the bed. Which side? <laughs> the right or the left? <laughs> but because we know that somebody died in that exact location, we have this way of of feeling kind of odd to begin with. That could explain the cold. That could explain uh, the feeling of something touching you. Because we have this link to it where we think that because something died in this particular location that there should be some kind of energy from something. But sometimes there really is just some energy there. Like maybe you want there to be. So a lot of times you go to places like this and people want to experience something. They want to have that and they don't. Okay. So that's all I got to say about this is that (laughs) I I do not believe the photographic evidence um, necessarily means anything. It just gives a little bit of a suspicion to things, but uh, I've seen no signs of, of evidence of anything paranormal at this location. All right, well, can I tell you my story then? Yeah. My last piece of evidence? Yes. Okay. So, as you mentioned earlier, we took a tour and we actually visited this spot along with a bunch of other Chicago area mm-hmm. haunted spots. 
So today the alley is very well lit. They've re- they it used to be pretty dark, I guess, but you know now because people like to go there and there's a lot going on in that area, they've they've added a lot of lights to it. Um, but it was nighttime when we were there, and we had been several other places before this, and I hadn't really felt anything in those spots except for the extreme cold at the St. Valentine's Day massacre spot. I did feel that. The St. Valentine's Day massacre. St. Valentine's Day massacre. I'm just making sure that I say that correctly. You got it. Okay. Uh, and I hadn't, uh, and up, up to that point, I, they had been handing out like ghost hunting equipment. So the, um, the EMF meters is what they were handing out. It's these, you know, if you go back to our Holly from Paranormal mm-hmm. Illumination Society episode, she explains how all these things work. Uh, but anyways, you can, um, detect EMF, uh, things, which, um, people believe can, can be signs of spirits mm-hmm. um but you know i wanted the kids to be able to have them but then they brought out dowsing rods and so the kids were taking those so there were extra emf detectors fine so i took one i'm walking around trying to get it nothing 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 then all of a sudden i was going along the wall of the theater and i got a hit on my meter and it started getting pretty strong like it was a really you know the lights went all the way into the red you know it was really strong and it was really localized if I went even just an inch or two off of the area uh, it would start to to fade then Mondo if my friend your friend the uh, listeners may remember from our St. Valentine's Day episode and also the Christmas episode and the Christmas episode he was also there with a different brand of VMF reader and he started to pick up the same signal as I was picking up Mm. so we stood there for as many minutes as we could before they called us back to move on to the next spot and the signal stayed for a long, long time. But again, as soon as we walked away, you know, it was gone. So it wasn't like something that that was um, even in a big area. It was just really localized in one spot. And it was really creepy. Again, I'm not somebody that, uh, you know, I have some, I've had some experiences that we'll talk about at some point, but in general, uh, I don't always experience things, even though I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole night, I didn't, really experience much everywhere we went but this was this was a time that i did yeah uh and it really uh weirded me out okay um well let me talk about my sighting at this um at this location i was very sad because i saw a single shoe oh i remember that yeah it was a single shoe just laying there by itself without a foot in it Mm mm-hmm and that poor shoe was separated from its twin. And its owner. I mean, not like an exact twin, kind of like a mirror image, but not like evil or anything, but it was just like... <laughs> How do you know <laughs> that this wasn't the evil twin that you were you were feeling so sad about? So Maybe that's it, why it was left behind. It just sat there by itself, all by its lonesome. No, um, okay, so do you know what EMF stands for? Electromagnetic field? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that first word again? Electro. Electro. So Mm -hmm. having to do with electricity. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm going to use this in my closing arguments too, Mm -hmm. just to give you a little bit of a heads up. Oh, thanks. Um, (laughs) I like the mansplaining. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. It's not mansplaining. It's it's warning. Ah, okay. Um, So 
And that's what I have to do is mansplain in this. That's like my role in this. You're is assuming to that I don't know what EMF means. No, I actually wanted to use that for my evidence. So uh-huh. I wanted you to tell me because I didn't know what it meant. But I knew the first letter was <laughs> um, had to do with electricity. So you guys found one particular spot where this thing started going off. And then when you moved away from that spot, it stopped. So what's to say that there wasn't some kind of electrical outlet on the other side of the wall? Because we were in the alley next to the building, the Oriental Theater. So what's to say that there wasn't an electrical outlet or a fuse box or something that contained a lot of electricity on the other side of that wall? Well, I don't think that it just goes off for just electricity. It's like a certain kind. I don't know. And it, it I think normally like a normal amount, a healthy amount is not going to go all the way to the red. I suppose we should follow up with Holly. Yeah. And um, I remember Tony actually saying, Tony was our tour guide of this, uh, that, yeah, it could if you are in an area that has a lot of electricity. Now, we also visited a... Um, a park that had a um, mausoleum in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a spot where you, you guys picked up some EMF readings. And that would make more sense because it was just next to a tree. Um, yeah, I but, wasn't do I didn't do that, but Mondo did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. But that would that would to me be a little bit more alarming. But because of both of you guys picking up this at the exact same spot, and then as soon as you moved away, that to me says that there could be some electricity in that area and that's all that it's picking up. Seems weird though that there wouldn't be any other similar spots. I mean, there's outlets everywhere. Plus it wasn't on the ground. I mean, it was like in the middle of the wall, like my height. We don't get to say what's on the other side of that wall. I know, but outlets typically aren't high up. But you would think that, I mean, I walked along that whole wall. It could be, but I mean, again, if we're saying any kind of electrical source is going to cause this thing to go off, you would think that I would have had other readings somewhere walking along that wall, just that one spot. Well, that one spot might have been where they had a lot of electrical equipment. We're talking about a theater here, which has an elaborate lights, um, lights, I don't even know what word I'm looking for here. It has an elaborate light setup, so it might... There might be something that's just really electrical right beyond that. Now, if you had picked up various signals around the area, that might tend to lead me more to that. But I don't believe in these EMFs because of that, because it could be picking up electricity. And in this- There will never be evidence that you're going (laughs) to- Maybe. I'm I'm looking for evidence. I'm searching for evidence. Just because I'm a naysayer about this doesn't mean anything. Mm. But uh, that is- what I have to say about EMFs. Gotcha. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it as far as what I have for my debate section. Gotcha. Me too. Me too. That's, you too. Okay. Yeah. So we are going to enter into our favorite part of the podcast, which I need to find my phone. <laughs> it's time for closing arguments. Which I do not have my phone, so oh. you might need to record yourself. Wow. Are you, you going to survive that you are like, I don't know. Don't have your phone with you? How is that even possible? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's scarier than anything. Okay. All so, right. Rebecca, you're up first. Okay. And I'm typing, timing myself. Okay. Yes. All right. Are you ready, Rebecca? I am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ready? Go. This is a tragic story. 
We don't even need the ghost story for this to feel haunted. Imagining yourself or a loved one in this situation is hard and haunting in itself. However, it is also not hard to imagine that a place that has suffered such an unexpected and quick, it only took 15 minutes for this fire, tragedy would be filled with such spirits and energy that break through to our consciousness. Especially for those that are more sensitive to this energy, sites like this are hard to visit. There are pictures, readings, and testimonies out there telling us this. People who have told us that they have seen things, felt things, heard things. I know what I saw and what I felt when I was there, and it was different than the other sites we visited that night. And to be honest, unlike some of the places we've gone, I actually don't have a desire to go back. You done? Done. Wow. And your minute's up. Yep. I did it. All right. Are you ready, sir? I am ready. Okay. Thank you for calling me sir finally. <laughs> Don't get used to it. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yes. And go. Okay. Being at the site after hearing this very somber story uh, Tony told us, it had me feeling emotional. Emotional for the people that passed away at this site. I'm a very compassionate person, and I feel a lot of emotions for others. Their deaths didn't have to happen. But that's all that I felt. There were no signs of any paranormal activity besides the EMFs going a little crazy, and there's a reason why those are offered on many ghost tours. They pick up electrical energy. That's no proof of anything paranormal. It feels scientific, though, to believe in these devices because they're physical devices, but the science behind them is not valid because any electricity can make them go off. Rebecca and Mondo might have just found an electrical outlet on the other side of the wall. And that is all I got to say about that. Wow, five seconds left. Good job. All right. So now that we took care of our business. <laughs> it's up to you guys. It's up to you guys to go and vote. Yes. Yes. Um, so I want to tell you guys about some contest details. All right. Let's hear it. So we have announced three contests so far. We have one that's send in your favorite ghost story. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited about this. Again, it's not, you don't have to make one up. We, we want to hear your stories. Yeah. And chances are pretty good that you're going to win if you send it in because we haven't received any yet. People are scared to tell us their stories. Yeah, I, they are. I, I they think are. they are. But I, And we're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to judge you. Pat is not going to call you a liar. I promise you I will not let him do yeah, that. Yeah. We don't even have to debate that. No, we're not thing. debating the stories. We just want to hear them because we know that they're out there. Yeah. Another contest, you would go to one of our web pages. And you would like both uh, Ghostly Podcast on Facebook and like Dead on Paper on Facebook and bam, you're entered to win. Yep. Um, and the last one that we released in the last episode was just go to our website, which is ghostlypodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom. On the bottom, you will see a email submission uh, area to join our mailing list. That's yep. all you got to do. We send out one email every episode, which is every two weeks. Yep. And it's super short and quick and really fun to read. That's all you got to do to enter to win some of these really cool things. Now for the contest details that I have for this particular episode. So exciting. So 
as we've talked about previously, we've partnered with Dead on Paper for this. Mm -hmm. I reached out to Dead on Paper because I am a huge fan of Dead on Paper. Uh, They have such quality items. It's unbelievable. I love their coins. Mm -hmm. I carry one with me every day. The one I've been carrying with me recently is the Oracle coin, which has a yes on one side and a no on the other side. And it it has some really cool design on it, too. It's not just yes and no. It's really cool. And so you could flip it anytime, you know, you want to make a decision, a choice. Mm. Uh, I used to do that as a kid. We used to go to the end of the block and we would flip a coin to decide which way to go when we were playing Let's Get Lost. I love that game. Yeah, that was a fun game. So Dead on Paper, um, I love their coins. You really like their their playing cards, Yes. Right? Oh, my gosh. I do like their cards. It's playing cards and a tarot deck all in one, and I love it. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, that they are really cool. The, the designs on them are just amazing. So Dead on Paper, they're just an amazing company, and they gave us a bunch of products to give out. So much. Um, so for the last three contests that I'm going to announce, it's all the same detail. The first person that comes up to us at C2E2, which is March 22nd, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Yeah, as Rebecca said, the 22nd, the 23rd, and 24th of March. Mm-hmm. If you come up to us and you're the first person to say dead on paper that day, I will hand you a coin and hand you a deck of cards. This is so exciting. So we're going to be there all three days. We're going to have ghostly podcast t-shirts on, yes, right? So and you'll be, able to spot you'll be able to spot us. Or you could message us and um, just say, hey, I'm at C2E2. I want to meet up. Absolutely. And uh, so we'll, you actually get to meet us, maybe tell us your story. And of course, you get this amazing prize if you say dead on paper. That's all you got to say to us. Like dead on say. paper. You don't even have to bring up the contest. Just be like dead on paper. And that's all you have to say. I will hand you that stuff. Yeah. It's very, I, I'm very excited to meet people. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've never, like I said, I, I, I am a nerd, but I've never been to C2E2. And um, so it's kind of, I guess, uh, the Chicago Comic Con is what I've kind of, yeah. been told. So I, you know, I'm ex- there's a lot of people there I want to meet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and <laughs> Including our fans. And we're going to be anything. passing out buttons too. We're going to be passing out, I think, 50 buttons a day. So for the first 50 people, we're going to give you a button. So you might be the first person that comes up to us that day, says dead on paper, we will hand you the dead on paper merchandise, and we will hand you a pin, a button. You haven't explained the best part about the button. It glows oh, in the dark. Yes, it glows in the dark. Yeah. For all of your ghostly needs. It's very So cool. you're not afraid of ghosts anymore. Exactly. Because you have your light with you at all times. Exactly. All right. Um, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen. Please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend about us. Yeah. So I just heard the statistic, didn't check it out, so not sure if it's how true it is, but around 60% of people have never even heard of podcasts, let alone listen to them. Wow. That's sad. It is sad. Podcasts are awesome. They are. Right? I can't even imagine my life without them. So honestly, our best way of growing and being able to keep offering you ghostly podcasts is for you to tell a friend about us. Actually, tell more than one friend. Tell, Tell several. And then if you need to, grab their phone and help them figure out how to get podcasts on their phone. I mean, that's... Yeah, we just did this for one of my friends the other day. I just did it the other night. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's honestly, it it's the best way for us to grow and for people to hear uh, all these great stories that we want to tell. Yeah. 
Uh, I'd also like to, I, you know, I can't believe we've never done this before, but I would like to thank Michael Rivers, which is Rebecca's brother, yep. for doing the music for our podcast. Yeah, we thank him in our show notes every time, but yeah. I feel so bad we haven't had a chance. We've mentioned my brother Austin before, but this is my older brother, Michael, and he's a pianist in Wisconsin, and he uh, actually recorded uh, both our intro and outro music, and yeah. he's amazing. And we're hitting so. him up for some even even more music. I mean, yeah, we're, we're putting the guy to work. We are putting him to work. <laughs> he is an amazing musician, though. Yeah. Well, I love him despite his team skeptic beliefs. <laughs> oh, boy. Team skeptic. My skeptic <laughs> bros, yeah, they... which are both male and female. Oh, okay. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so I think that's all we got, right? Yeah, I think we've got on long enough today. Yeah, well, I want to thank you guys again for listening. Uh, you guys make us who we are. We love this. This is so much fun. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.